0: Good morning once again. It is wonderful to be with you. It's great to usher in a new year together on the Lord's Day. Um, this morning we're going to continue, really it's, it's a sermon series that was begun when we started Advent, the last week in November. And it's really what's evolved over the past two or three years is that um, we end up starting an Advent series that we really enjoy diving into the life of the Lord Jesus, and it's been so um, wonderful and encouraging and devotional that we just, we don't want to stop, we don't want to go back to whatever we were doing before, so we just continue in the life of Christ. And that's what we're going to do this year, so what was started the last week in November is going to culminate on April 4th, Easter Sunday, with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So what we're going to do is continue through the life of the Lord Jesus chronologically and this morning we're going to dive into um, a very uh, wonderful uh, experience when Jesus was 12 years old. We're going to learn more about that and dive into that text. So without further ado, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This morning we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2 verses 39 through 52. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. And when they, the they is referring to Joseph and Mary and Jesus, when they had performed everything according to the law of God, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. If you will recall, a couple weeks ago, Chris Bennett preached on this text. Um, Forty days after Jesus' birth, Mary had to go to Jerusalem in order for ritual purification after having a child, and so they could offer a sacrifice for Jesus, you had to redeem your firstborn male. And then after that, verse 40 describes what the childhood of Jesus was like. Verse 40, And the child grew, and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover and when he was twelve years old they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended as they were returning the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives. And acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. In other words, they didn't get what he was was indicating. Verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother She treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Pray with me again, our gracious God and Father, we thank you for this this wonderful window into the life of the Lord Jesus as a child, as a 12-year-old. Father, as we consider the kind of wisdom and understanding that he demonstrated even at 12 years old, Father, I pray that we would be even more amazed at the wisdom that he demonstrates now. Father, I pray that that would be a great comfort and encouragement to us in the midst of a very uncertain and broken world. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So I've, I've, I've told you before that about a year ago, and I, I would recommend this to all of you, I subscribed to like an online service called StoryWorth. I think I've mentioned it in a sermon at least once before. And the concept is wonderful. Because um, after people that are special to us, after they pass away, you know, um, it's not uncommon to wish you had more information about them and their life. And, you know, especially loved ones, parents or grandparents, you wish you knew what they were like as a child or experiences they had. You know, it would be nice, for lack of a better word, to have their memoir. Well, what StoryWorth does, I think it's about $60, Leslie McCabe shared it with me about a year ago, so I signed up for it for my mother. I knew my father would never cooperate, Um, but I signed up my mother for it, and so what happens is StoryWorth will send your loved one um, a question a week, two questions a week, or a question a month, or whatever you deem is appropriate. however much cooperation you can get from your loved one you can select from pre-written questions or you can write your own and the service will send your loved one a question and provide them like a a paragraph space for a response and so it collects those and over the course of a year it collects all those and at the end of the year it puts it into a nice book and sends it to you and it serves as a kind of memoir and it has been wonderful. It was so wonderful that I signed up for six more months because I get every, every other week I get a wonderful story from my mother. In fact, this past week the prompt was this, quote, what have been some of your life's greatest surprises? And one of the good parts is as soon as my mom fills it out I get a copy of her answer. And so this week, she wrote in her response that she was going to share something that she had never told her family. And I was like, wow. And she said when she was about 20 years old, she applied for nursing school at Carolina in Chapel Hill and was accepted. um, Because she'd always been interested in, in, in nursing and things like that. But after discussing it with her parents, for certain reasons, her parents advised her not to accept it. And so she didn't. And so I, I wrote her back, I was like, Mom, this is so impressive. This is wonderful. We, you've never shared with this. had no idea you'd been accepted to nursing school and, and, and for it because of the advice of your parents. How do you feel about that? Do you have any regrets? And she wrote back that she didn't have any regrets. She was very thankful for her life and, and what the Lord had done in her life. And, and I guess I'm thankful because I probably wouldn't be here if she would have done that. Um, but that was wonderful. And I get, I get stories like that week after week, you know, um, especially with our parents or our grandparents. We love to know more about them. We love to know more about their background. We love to know more about what they were like as children. Um, my boys want to know more about what I was like as a child so they could basically justify what they're doing. Um, well that's, that's certainly true when it comes to the Lord Jesus. Um, The Christian church, obviously, we love our Savior. We can't get enough of the Lord Jesus. In fact, that's why we're in the series that we're in right now. I think it's always good throughout the year to be in a Life of Christ series of some sort. But we want to know more about Him. The early church, in particular, had a fascination with the childhood of Jesus. With what Jesus was like as a boy, there's only one problem. What is it? There's almost no information in the Gospels that describe what Jesus was like of a bull, as a boy, save one. The passage that we're in this morning. And so with a, dearth of that, uh, that with, with a dearth of that kind of information, do you know what some in the early church did? Do you have any idea? Well, of course, they made it up. I can remember learning in seminary about something called the infancy gospel of Thomas. Have any of you ever heard of the infancy gospel of Thomas? That's not to be confused with the gospel of Thomas, okay? The only thing that the gospel of Thomas has in common with the infancy gospel of Thomas is they're both wrongly attributed to Thomas. A disciple of the Lord Jesus. The Gospel of Thomas, that was found in the mid-20th century and is a collection of sayings of Jesus that's not part of our Bible. The infancy Gospel of Thomas was probably written in the late second century, 170's A.D., and is full of embellished um, false and legendary accounts of what Jesus was like as a boy from ages 5 to 12 and they're very interesting and I want to share a couple with you but keep in mind they're not true. There are virtually no scholars today, secular or Christian that think that the stories that are told in the infancy gospel of Thomas actually relate to the historical Jesus but they're interesting and they come pretty early. Um, A couple of my favorites. From the infancy Gospel of Thomas picks up on Jesus when he's five years old. And so the five-year-old Jesus, Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, comments on this and talks about how spurious and wrong and forgeries and whatnot. But anyway, you have Jesus at five years old and he is playing in a stream. And there's various accounts of this in different manuscripts, but uh, the five-year-old Jesus is told to make pools out of the stream, okay? It says not with his own hand or not with his own deed, but through the word of his power. So through a miracle. Like the five-year-old Jesus apparently, according to the gospel, infancy gospel of Thomas, is testing his powers as a young deity. And so he makes these pools and he purifies the pools, whatever that means. So he does this miracle. He creates these pools by the stream. He purifies the pool. And someone tells on him and goes to his father Joseph and tells Joseph that the boy Jesus is working on the Sabbath, that's inappropriate. Joseph immediately comes out and begins to rebuke Jesus. Well, Jesus in that time had fashioned twelve clay sparrows. And so when his father gets there and rebukes him for that, Jesus brings the sparrows to life, tells them to come alive and fly away, maybe destroying the evidence. Okay. A few years later a boy bumps into Jesus that bothers Jesus, Jesus strikes him dead. Um, a few years later the townspeople are concerned about Jesus, reports Jesus to Joseph, um, Jesus decides to make them all blind and deal with it that way and so there's all these crazy stories about the childhood Jesus that are not true, they're not born in fact. And they do this, they made them up, because there's very little in the Gospels about the boyhood or childhood of Jesus. But, you know, um, thankfully Luke records something for us, and I want us to look at that this morning. There's one story about the boyhood of Jesus. Scholars, scholars have speculated over the years, why is it that we don't know more about the childhood of Jesus. Well we really don't, in terms of like the Gospels, the amount of material that's spent on, I mean the vast majority of the material in the Gospels is spent on Jesus' public ministry. Okay, so there's very little by comparison that, that, that um, is shared other than what's going on in His public ministry. But Luke shares this, and I think literally, we can infer Luke's purpose. Like why does he share this story? Of all the stories that Luke could have shared about the childhood of Jesus, Luke decides to share this one, and I think the text indicates why on at least two levels. Look at the end of verse 51. It says, his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. I think we can infer from this that Luke is getting his material directly from Mary, We know at the beginning of Luke's Gospel that he's concerned to be an accurate historian and he is getting all of his information directly from eyewitnesses. There is no doubt in my mind that Luke got all of his nativity information and he got this story directly from Mary. Mary is pondering these things. I think Mary is remembering and, and recollecting these things to Luke. And obviously this made an impression on Mary. This gave, I think, insight to Mary and Joseph as to just who this child would become. I think we can know literally, what about it impressed Luke and why Luke shared it. Look with me at verse 40 So, and then verse 52. Verse 40 and verse 52 are going to serve as literary bookends. Okay, and then 41 through 51 is going to be the meat in the middle. Look at verse 40. So this is a description of the childhood of Jesus. Luke says, and the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom. In other other words, he grew physically, and he grew in his wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, notice how closely that matches 52. 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom, and in stature, and in favor, with God and man. Um, Luke was very interested and struck by the wisdom of Jesus even at twelve years old. He wants to provide an example. He wants to communicate to you an illustration of just how wise, how impressive. How exceptional Jesus was, even as a boy. Okay, so I think Luke shares this okay, because he wants the reader to have the same reaction as the people who witnessed him interacting with the the teachers and the rabbis in the temple. People were amazed at the wisdom of Jesus at 12 years old. His parents were astonished at what they saw. And that's exactly what Luke wants you and I. That's how he wants us to respond, to be amazed and astonished at the wisdom of Jesus even at 12. So let's, let's look, let's, let's consider. But first, the historical context. Look at verse 41. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according... To the custom. Now it is, it is impossible to know exactly what Luke has in mind here. There are multiple interpretations of what's going on. Now obviously from the Old Testament um, all Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem three times a year for the great festivals, the great feasts. Well we know from other sources that it was not uncommon in the first century for entire families to go together to Jerusalem for the Passover. And that's what we see here. At a minimum, the text indicates that not only Joseph, but Mary would go up to Jerusalem for the Passover feast every year. And that according to custom, Jesus at 12 was here. Again, so scholars debate. We should not read into this that Jesus is about to be bar mitzvah. But that's what sometimes happens, that at 13 years old, according to Jewish custom, um, boys become bar mitzvah. That means they become a son of the commandment. But there's no indication that was going on in the first century. And the problem is we don't have lots of information about what went on in situations like this. But it seems to me that we're not reading into the text to think that there was something special. Some kind of custom was going on related to Jesus turning 12. So I think it's reasonable to infer that Jesus was going to experience something or gain access to something according to custom that maybe was not available to him prior to 12 years old. There would be hundreds of thousands of Jews that would swell into Jerusalem during the Passover week. I mean estimates range between 200,000, 400,000. I think Josephus who is known to embellish numbers says up to 600,000 people would fill Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not that big and so there would just be throngs of people, wall to wall people. Because you might be wondering how in the world could Joseph and Mary lose track of Jesus at 12 years old. How is that possible? Well, let's look at the text. I think it's interesting. Like, look at verse 44. What is verse 44? Verse 44 indicates, and we can learn a lot from this, they looked for him, or they supposed that he was in a group. They would travel in groups from their hometowns up to Jerusalem. Um, and when they began to look for him in 44, they looked for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. And so we should imagine in our minds eye throngs of people traveling from all these local towns all over Israel up to Jerusalem. So they would travel in caravans. They would travel with family. They would travel with friends. And they weren't concerned about like child abduction in the first century. Completely different culture, much more familial much more comfortable. There would be no concerns with parents to let their kids kind of wander around and spend time with other families and you know things like that. I can remember as a boy traveling for tennis tournaments all over the South when I was younger and if you go to those tennis tournaments enough you begin to know other families that are also participating in these tournaments and over the years my family grew comfortable with other families and you would stay with them and they would stay with you and you would go to dinner at their house and you would stay with them and they would stay with you. And so I can see how this would happen. So they would go for, to Jerusalem for about seven days, they would travel in a caravan and then they would leave. And I bet when they were in Jerusalem they might not even know who Jesus was spending the night with. You would assume he's fam- with family and friends and that he was fine. And I think what we can infer from the text is there was something special going on as Jesus was 12. He had spe- special access to the teachers of the law, maybe in ways that he had never enjoyed before. And Jesus was making the most of his time. Jesus um, was what we would probably describe as a prodigy. Um, it's hard, I mean, obviously scholars over the years have, have struggled to think through how the, the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus, how, how does that relate to one another? You know what I mean? Like He's 100% God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but He's also 100% man. How is it possible for Jesus, who in one sense is omniscient in His deity, to grow in wisdom and knowledge in his humanity. How is that possible? I don't know. No one knows. Think about scholars debate, when did Jesus become aware of exactly who he was as the Messiah of the Living God? Well, I think it's clear by age 12 he certainly had. I think he has access, perhaps for the first time, in intimate and personal ways, to the best theological minds of his day. And I think he loses track of time, like, so you're, so if we just, like, we we were discussing this over lunch, you're like, how did this happen from a practical standpoint? How did his parents leave him? And not realize until the end of the day that Jesus wasn't with them. Okay, they didn't find him until the third day. The text indicates they were very distressed because he seemed to be lost. He seemed to be gone. They didn't know what happened. How could something like this happen? Well, I think that Jesus obviously was interacting with the scholars. He was probably sleeping at a relative's, you know, place in Jerusalem or something like that. And he was so ensconced with what he was doing that he lost track of time. We know Jesus was like us in every way. We know he didn't sin, so he didn't do anything wrong here. I think he totally lost track of time. He was so engrossed in what he was doing. His parents left, they didn't realize it. They come back and they find him there. What did they find, okay, when they got there? That's Luke's point, okay? Luke's point is what happens in verses 46 and 47. Remember the bookends, verse 40. Luke says that he grew, he became strong, filled with wisdom. The favor of God was upon him. God was pleased with him. God was blessing him. Look at what happens. Look at what they find him doing, verse 46. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them asking them questions look at the response in verse 47 and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers verse 48 when his parents saw him they were astonished now the Greek word for astonished and amazed are different words I think there's kind of a double meaning in the fact that his parents were astonished I think they were Astonished in one sense that they were exasperated like this is where he's been For three days while we've been worried sick. I think they were also astonished By what they saw And I think that made an impression on luke Okay, as mary is telling luke what she and joseph saw when they finally found him on day three in the temple Okay, he is asking questions, he is interacting with the most thoughtful theological scholars in the world. He's asking them questions, he's listening to the answers, he's offering answers of his own and asking them questions. And the people were amazed. What do you think that was like? What do you think it would have been like to have been a witness to this? The Gospels indicate that Mary and Joseph didn't understand exactly all that Jesus was going to do. Okay, they didn't understand exactly what all this would mean. I know it's, I mean, like, you know, it's, we have the benefit of the light of the new covenant. Mary did not have that. Mary and Joseph are learning more about what it meant that Jesus was the Son of God and the Messiah of God the more that he grew up and they were astonished. They could not believe the level of insight and wisdom displayed by this 12 year old. Incredible. Luke wants the reader to be equally amazed. Luke wants the reader to be equally astonished. Luke wants the reader to be encouraged and comforted. It's really a comparison from a lesser to a greater. Because if Jesus had this capacity at 12 years old, if he's able to engage with the best theological minds in the world at 12, think of what his understanding and wisdom was like when he was 15. Or 18, or 20, 25, or 30. Okay, fast forward, you know, 18 years, um, and and what he was like when he was interacting with the scribes and Pharisees during his public ministry. His grasp of the scriptures. It's not just that he knew a lot of things, as Nate indicated. The difference between knowledge and wisdom. Jesus was incredibly wise. So the point to today's sermon is that we should be equally amazed at the wisdom and understanding of the Lord Jesus. And if he was this wise at 12, what is the glorified Son of Man? What, what kind of He possesses all wisdom and all knowledge, which means we can trust Him. With every situation in our life, whatever difficulty you're facing, whatever hardship you're facing, you can trust the wisdom of Jesus in your life. He is wisely superintending every single detail of your life, carefully, lovingly. He can provide you the help that you need right when you need it, in the amount that you need it. Luke's point is. You can trust this Savior. I think we also learn the emphasis is that he was really a human being who grew in wisdom and knowledge. And that means he can identify with you. He can understand your plight. We love people that we can relate to. Our best friends are the people that we can relate to the best. The people that we feel most comfortable with. Our closest friends are the people that we think get us and accept us and receive us. In addition to being God Almighty, this blows my mind, Jesus was a man. And even now, the man Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Jesus in His humanity and His wisdom knows exactly what you're dealing with and exactly what I'm dealing with and therefore we can trust Him and worship Him. Um, and we should be amazed every bit as much as were the people in our text today. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Father, we are amazed at, at the wisdom of Jesus, His understanding. The, the details here are sparse, but what is communicated is, is incredible. If Jesus was this wise and this capable at twelve, I cannot fathom His wisdom now. Father, help us to be reassured that we can trust the wisdom of our Savior, that He knows us, that He can relate to us, um, and that He is working every detail in our lives in a way that's for our good. In his glory, in ways that in the light of eternity we will know one day are, are so very wise. We pray this in the matchless name of the wise one, the Lord Jesus. Amen.